You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. 1935, the Lions win the NFL championship. The Detroit Tigers take the World Series. The Red Wings bring home Lord Stanley's Cup. Joe Lewis begins his rise to world domination. This transforms the Motor City into Detroit City of Champions. Detroit City of Champions, the podcast based on the trilogy of books by... Charles Avison. Charles, I'm Jamie Flanagan. I am a washed-up radio DJ. Yeah, right. <laughs> this, is, this is a rise of Jamie right here. Uh, it is. It is. It's... it's uh, uh, Charles, I'm having a, I'm having a blast doing this with you. Yeah, it's great. I um, love it, man. I and love, look forward to it every week. Man. We, uh, cool. we we talked about a couple things already. You know, we talked about just a bit of the background and, and just how the, the city was in a shambles. 32, 33 were awful. And, and 34 was on a bit of an upswing, right? Things turned around a little a bit. A huge bit of an upswing. 34 was a huge year for the, for Detroit, for the Tigers. And um, it, the thing yeah. about the the thing about it is is the characters, right? Yeah. And we talked a lot about in, in that episode. We talked a lot about the characters and just the kooky names and the kooky people, yeah. and you know, Schoolboy Row and Flea and just yeah. just an a, amazing uh, parade of of people. And uh, then they did really well in the series. This close, right? Yeah, down game seven, down to game seven, game seven. And then uh, that brings us to uh, thirty five, right? Yep. Some some high expectations because great they, expectations for thirty five. And Mickey pointed at the fence again. Yeah, exactly. And said, "This time we're we're going. We're exactly. taking the series this yeah. year, right?" So yeah. Mickey Cochran, we talked about him in one of the episodes because he was like he was so critical to Detroit, the Tigers turn around. He was huge. Yeah, e- easily one of the most important uh, free agents or you know uh, trades, you know the you know player acquisitions that the Tigers have ever made. And one of the most important in the history of baseball. I mean, you you have one player comes to a team, and you could argue I mean, that it was virtually the exact same team from 1933 to 1934. The only difference really is the addition of um, is of Goose Goslin, yeah. who was viewed as like over the hill as an over the hill yeah. type hitter, and then Mickey himself, and, and Mickey then, himself, yeah. yeah. And so this one person comes in, and the Tiger, you know, the Detroit rattles off two incredible seasons. 1934, they win over 100 games. Um, in you know thirty five, they they actually win the World Series. So you know you know they and, and again I have quotes throughout the book um, talking about just every person in Detroit at that time. They all credited Mickey Cochran is the magic man, the guy yeah. that that brought it all together in this winning component. This never this this I mean near obsession with winning. Um, and you know, and believing that they could do it is you know just such a powerful you know lesson. You know, like this belief of winning, and he was the guy. Yeah, and so um, the 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 nineteen thirty five team pretty much the same. Uh, were there were there big changes? Many changes? Man, I it's uh, it's funny that you it's funny that you say that because this is exactly how I want to open the show, and I was actually hoping you were going to answer okay. this because <laughs> ask me that question, or else because I was going to have to answer it sync, myself. Man. Yeah, we're, we're in sync <laughs> totally because there was a because. Because yes, the team was mostly the same. You know, there's always a couple of guys here that come and go that you know, mm-hmm. pitch a game. They bring them up in the minor leagues, pitch one game. You know, another guy gets a few at bats, whatever. Um, but there was a huge, huge addition to the 1935 uh, Tigers, and it kind of ties in with the idea of. But you know, to understand the concept is to understand like the the the, the differing nature of the 34 Tigers versus 35. 34 Tigers were totally unexpected. All the fans were completely caught off guard. 
They were taken for this incredible ride, and then they lose in the seventh game of the World mm. Series, which is, you know, we talk about the great expectations. So over this offseason, the, uh, the, the, you know, again, the, you know, this is, it goes from being, you know, like, you know, where they have no expectations for the team to right. being they're, they're, they want a World Series. It's World Series championship or bust. I mean, that's, that's all that's on their mind. Yeah. And so there's caravans of fans going down to spring training. Um, you, I mean, you've got, you, you've got such luminaries as like Walter Hagen that has been photographed down in, in oh. Detroit spring training. Okay. You've got people like Newell Banks. We talk about the Czech, world checkers champion from Detroit. <laughs> he's, down, he's down there playing games blindfolded. I mean, there's all these incredible scenes of, all these, of everyone, fans and all this going down there. And uh, one, of, one of the people that goes down there is, um, is, is, the, uh, is the Tigers' uh, 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 bat boy in 1934. Huh. And his name is Whitey. His name is Whitey Willis. He was the he was the uh, Tigers' bad boy. He was 16 years old in uh, in, uh, in 19, at the at the end of the 1934 season. And so Whitey Willis, he's this, you know he's he. But the problem is that Whitey Willis is going into high school. He's in high school, and so yeah. now really his reign as a bat boy has come to an end. Okay, right. And so uh, and so he's one of these people. But he actually hitchhikes his way down to Florida to watch spring training and to see some of his old friends. You know, he's the Tigers net. He stays with a couple of them. I love that. fishing with with Heine Schubels and his family. Um, and so he goes, so he hitchhikes his way down. So anyways, so the, like I say, we're leading up into this 35 scene with these massive expectations. And, and so in mentioning Whitey Willis is key because now the Tigers, so Whitey Willis is too old. He's, he's becoming, going into high school and he's beyond the age of the traditional sort of bat boy. So now the Tigers find themselves in a situation where, you know, they need a bat boy. Okay. And a lot of times the bat boy is an overlooked, you know, component of this. But this is a world. This is a potential World Series champion team. Okay. okay, they need you know this this bad boy just can't be. I mean, this bad boy is going to be the idol of the you know from the very first day of every Detroit fan. You know, every Detroit schoolboy. You know, in the city. You know, yeah. I mean, this has got to yeah, be yeah. somebody that's got some serious credentials. Okay. okay? And so and so that so the uh, so I have the guys written. Names. So Alex Okray was the clubhouse boss of the Detroit Tigers. He was mm-hmm. the clubhouse manager in that of Naven Field. And he hears about this Bat Boy, okay? His name is Joe Roggin. Joe, his name is, the last name is spelled R-O-G-G-I-N. So mm-hmm. I hope I'm pronouncing Go it. on to do great podcasts. Yeah, so, so anyways. <laughs> yeah, so, that's yeah, I know. That's what I was thinking. That's why I want to say Roggin. Roggin. Like, I don't right. want anybody confused yeah, yeah, like yeah, this. Yeah. Different. But, yeah, so anyways, so he hears about this. So there's a, there's a, a baseball league in Detroit um, called the, uh, it's called the uh, Detroit Baseball Federation. And there's mm-hmm. a team there called, I'm going to pronounce it, it's a Polish name. Skrzyzyki, so it's spelled S-K-R-Z-Y-C-K-I, Skrzyzyki. I hope I'm pronouncing that okay. right. Okay. But anyways, they've won four straight championships of this league. So oh. they're already legend. They're a legendary sort of sandlot team. And they have a bat boy that has been with them for all four championships. Okay. Joe Roggin is all the right. bat boy for this thing. So he, he's been a bat boy for four consecutive championships for this local sandlot. And he started out as eight years old. For Skrzyzyki, and so by the time he gets brought to the Tigers, he get, makes it to the major league. Makes it to the major. This is his potentially fifth year. Joe, you know, is potentially. So he's, he's, he's like eight. What is he? Twelve. So he's thirteen years 13, old. Okay. Thirteen years old in nineteen thirty-five. All right. So he's thirteen years old. And so, yeah, so this is a huge addition. They've just added a championship bat boy to the team <laughs> with championship expectations. Okay. And so, yeah, this is a huge signing. This is oh my huge. God. And so, yeah, and so, so anyways. Like, what the hell know, does a bat boy do? Bat boy, so the, the concept is that whenever a player 
um, the, you know, in the game, whenever a bat boy, whenever a bat boy, uh, you know, whenever a player gets a hit or whatever, they run out in the field, they grab the bat, they return it to the dugout. Sure, sure. So they kind of clean up their area around home yeah. plate. Well, especially like if there's someone coming into home. Exactly. You the umpire doesn't have time to worry about it. Yeah, yeah, the players yeah. don't have time to worry. So that's where the bat boy runs out, scrambles, grabs the bat, runs off. Yeah. And then so, and besides that, so when, uh, that's during the games, but during when it's not a game, you know, like behind the scenes, he's he like he does errands for the players. Like okay. he gets their suits cleaned. Um, he real runs and grabs them with soda or beer, you know, whatever. And then also one of the things that I saw was that it, we mentioned it um, in an episode about uh, G. You know, the Mickey Cochran was fining players. You know, at one point for for getting caught off first, those fines went to the Bat Boy. Oh my God! Yeah, those. Yeah, so that's because hey, hey, can you get picked off today? Because exactly. I could. Uh... <laughs> yeah. So, but in, in Joe Ryan's case, one of the interesting things is is that he like he developed a, a, a friendship with Hank Greenberg. Yeah. That um that Hank Greenberg would would call him my pal Joey because uh. because Joe because he had this huge infectious smile. Yeah. Got really excited whenever the Tigers scored to run um, and then like whenever Hank Greenberg like especially when Hank Greenberg came in I've got a fantastic photos in the books I've got a whole section on Joe Rugg in the book and I've got several different photos you can see this infectious smile of his yeah. and that um, and that whenever Hank Greenberg uh, you know hit a home run especially he expected to see uh, you know, um, Lucky Joe, or you know, you know, standing at home plate to greet him. And I've got great pic. I've got a fantastic picture with Hank Greenberg shaking his hand, and Joe Rogan is just so excited oh, to man. be there. So, so yeah, you know, not you know, not to you know, spoiler alert. You know, the Tigers won the 1935 World Series. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and Joe, so Joe Rogan completes his fifth straight year. As a bat boy of a championship team, I, oh just, I think that's a fantastic. Uh, I love you know, so that he's the major addition to the team, and I was, you know, I'm glad you asked. That I, I love, I love that. <laughs> yeah. So there's uh, bat boys. One of my students, one of my, one of my, because uh, I teach high school during the week, and uh, it's the family is like amazing. The Politis family, but JJ Politis, he was a he was a a, a, a bat boy or a ball boy for yeah. the Tigers for a bunch of years. Really? Yeah. That's, yeah. Like I said, I think that's he worked the third dream, base line. Man. I think he worked the third base line. Yeah. His mom, uh, before Karen Newman uh, did the national anthem, okay. she was the singer of the national right, anthem cool. for a whole handful of years yeah. before Karen Newman took over. Yeah. Uh, she kind of got bumped out. Yeah, yeah. They're a little bitter about that yeah, still. Yeah. Uh, and then Sarah, uh, JJ's older sister, Sarah Politis, she's like, she's she's amazing. She's uh, She was a superstar. She went on, she started a podcast. She I helped her like launch this little podcast that she yeah. did in my classroom. She uh, she interviewed Jerry Mathers. All right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she, she interviewed, but she interviewed, she was, it was the Popo show. It was positive uh, a powerful and positive people. Uh, she talked to him. She's a really uplifting message. So she talked to this guy who's a football player and uh, just was a really uplifting guy. And then she's get, she graduated from me and she was going to, to USC uh, and studying broadcasting and, yeah. and communications. And the guy that she had interviewed in my classroom, you know, she stayed in touch with all these people. We, uh, uh, Malali, uh, the CEO of Ford. We went up to Ford World Headquarters, top of the thing, and interviewed him. It's like yeah. she, she had some great connections. But this cat uh, was like her. She's heading into her, her, her junior year at USC, and uh, the cat that she interviewed in my classroom, he's like, he's like, yeah, so what are you doing? You got an internship for this summer. And she's like, no, you know, I don't have anything lined up yet. He's like, well, he goes, you know, nobody knows yet. He goes, but I got a new gig starting. Uh, it was Michael Strahan. Oh, all right. Hey, geez, uh, he's like, it was the here, summer yeah. he got the Michael and Kelly. Yeah. Uh, so she went to New York, and and she became a, his his right hand man. She produced yeah. uh, she produced the pyramid. She ended up getting one of the producer credits on the pyramid when they launched nice. that. Yeah, and yeah, that Politis family. But JJ was a, a, a ball boy. 
uh, for the That's Tigers. You're the idol of the – I mean, like when I was a kid growing up yeah. watching the Tigers, like, you know, you maybe catch a glimpse of somebody being a bat boy. Yeah. And, um, you yeah, know, yeah. it's like – yeah, they're you know that's they're you're like you know you're like oh man I wish I could go collect a bat for the Tigers you know like you know you like get an autograph it's hot out there on that third base line though yeah, you're just getting yeah, baked man, in the but sun but it just being a you know like you're sitting there looking especially like I grew up all around old Tigers you know you know with not around old Tiger Stadium but that was the stadium of my yeah. childhood and it yeah. was like. To be a bat boy on you know Tiger Stadium would just you know would have been like the, I would, that's all I'd be talking about right now. I just we'd be, instead of this city time we'd be talking about yeah, I'd have yeah. stories about you know being a bat boy for the Tigers. That's all I would be talking about. Literally. So we got the we got Roggin in there and his fifth championship. Yeah. So that was the big really that's the big addition. That was, that was really okay. That's really the big addition to the team. Um, you know, and and otherwise for the most part the team, um, you know the team it was relatively the same team. Like I said, there was a couple you know. Like, uh, you know, a couple, um, you know, players here, uh, you know, here and there, um, you know, to fill in gaps. But I do want to talk about. Actually, there was a there was a guy that was almost potentially gonna uh, join the team. Yeah. And th- and this is and I and I, and I, and I bring him in because uh, he, he, nobody there's virtually no information about this about this about his guy or this role in this. And um, but uh, but it, it it kind of actually throws a light into the the you know the the excitement of the Tigers at this time uh, that he would potentially join. And so, um, so his name is Dick, uh, Millard Dixie Howell, okay? And so this is probably the first podcast, like, ever to mention his name. Okay? <laughs> so Millard Dixie Howell, but, he, but he's not, but he's by no means, like, this, yeah. guy is, this guy is a mega star. Okay. Okay. So, so, so this, the story with Dixie, uh, with Dixie Howell was that he was the quarterback in the 1930, it was the, the 1934 college football season, but it was the 1935 Rose Bowl. So it was the, you know, just because the 34 season and then, you know, the, the, the bowl games carry into January. Yeah. So anyway, so it was the 34 season, but the 35 Rose Bowl. And he was, the, he was a, like a quadruple threat quarterback for Alabama. And the, Alabama was a undefeated national championships. Won the in, in, in this in, in the uh, they played Stanford in this Rose Bowl, and he and he threw for he threw for two touchdowns in an era where the passing game was just really starting to get off the ground. And he threw for two touchdowns, ran for two, just an incredible talent. And the two, the, the touchdowns that he this is like it's like when you're reading 1930s stories. When you're diving, like, and you're in that world, okay? Dixie Howell in 1934 was one, like, he was, like, one of the number one stars in, in America, okay? He was just an absolute sensation from college football. So he was, so, because, like I say, he was, he, like, he, he, quarterback for an undefeated, uh, you know, Alabama team, throws two touchdowns to Don Hudson, who, who when Don Hudson is a very famous name because the very next year, um, Dixie Howell would go into baseball, but Don Hudson would go to play for the Green Bay Packers. Okay, and Don Hudson would like literally revolutionize the wide receiver position. Like he was incredible, and so, um, and then so this, and this, so this, so both of these incredible athletes come out of this Alabama national championship, and so um, and like to say the two touchdowns that he threw in that game were both to Don Hudson, who again is one of the, he's a Hall of Famer in the NFL. He's a, just an absolute legend, and so but Dixie Howell. Dixie Howell, he's a, he's not just a quarterback; he's a two sport star, right. and he's an incredible baseball player by by every metric. Dixie knows baseball. Yeah, there you go. Exactly, <laughs> he was like sort of bow before bow jack. Yeah. So yeah, so he so he was so he's viewed as just as talented in baseball, right? And he signs with the Detroit Tigers. Okay, like this is like just huge. The Tigers yeah. go to the World Series in 1934. Yeah, yeah. Go to the seventh game again. Let's keep in mind before 1934. Tigers, they're lifeless. They got no. Yeah. There's virtually, you know, there's like if he writes the article about how you know they're just this team that nobody cares about. They don't make any big moves. 
Now they went to the world, they signed Mickey Cochran, they go to the World Series, win seven games, and now they just signed the biggest college superstar in the country. Dixie Howell signs with the Tigers. Like, I mean, it was just the biggest coup. It was just the biggest signing. And, like, the, I mean, so you're a fan going, and, 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 and there was the, 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 the word on the street, the way that they were um, hoping to bring this along was that Dixie Howell would be starting in right field for the Tigers in 1935. Mm-hmm. Like, going into spring training, like, this is a guy, like, he's so good, he's going to skip right through the minor leagues, and he's going, you know, he's going to be playing right field for the Tigers in 1935, which was Pete Fox's position in 1934. Right. And so, anyways, um, and so, like I say, so going into, so in spring training in 1935, Dixie Howell gets hit in the face by a, by a, um, there, there's a couple different stories. One saying that, uh, there was players playing a game called Pepper, which is like you're hitting the ball back and forth. Like, there's just like five players that are, you know, you're hitting the ball back and forth with a bat and right, you're right. trying to keep the ball up in the air kind of thing. But anyways, um, so they're, so they, they, one, one thing says they're playing pepper, but I don't believe that story because he fractured his eye socket yeah. and his jaw. Okay. okay, There's a picture of him where he's wired shut, like his face is all messed yeah, up. Yeah, that's pepper really gone awry. That's what I'm saying. Really, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Somebody, usually a pepper, you're just tapping the ball back and yeah, forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, but from the, another story is that uh, there's a guy named Johnny Mize, who's this is earlier in his career, and Johnny Mize is one of the, just a, an absolute slugger of a freaking man like just known for his home run hitting ability and so the other story is that johnny mize hit a foul ball and it and he was in dixie Howell wasn't looking and it just drilled him right in the face mm. and so my so that's the story i tend to believe if mm-hmm. your ball is going to fracture somebody's orbital yeah. socket and break their jaw <laughs> the chances are it was hit by a guy named johnny mize <laughs> You know, off the, you know, and Dixie Hall wasn't looking at it, and it's yeah. like you know. So, anyways, so so he was lost for the season, uh. and, he, and, he, and he never really got. He, he never he played a little, little bit in the minor leagues, right. but he never uh, he never made it to the major leagues or anything. And uh. we never really heard of him again. Yeah, I mean, they heard of him, and just in like in the world of sports, you know, he was he never really lost his fame. Sure, but he hasn't really come down to us in any sort of significant form. So, um, so anyways, that left the Tigers because Pete Fox was good in 1934, but right. they're already here. He is they're thinking about potentially replacing him with, um, with Dixie Howell, and so now all of a sudden, Pete. Uh, this is like sort of Pete Fox's. You know, they've got a. You know, he's you know he's back in as a potential starter. Uh, yeah, and that's where this. And so this is kind of like where I want to take this story with the season is to begin. You know, to kind of dive into like what happened. Um, you know, he he that. was well. He played a, a what? He played 128 games in 34. Is Pete that Pete Fox? Fox? Yeah. Yep, and yeah. then 131. Yeah, um, in 35. Mm-hmm. So he was definitely one of the one of the mainstays there. Exactly, but but going into 35, the problem was in spring training. Like I say, the Tigers were looking for a little bit of an upgrade at the right field. He was good at, in, in 1934. Um, but he wasn't necessarily great. I mean, he right. hit a lot of you know. There was you know he was he was viewed as a talented player. Mm-hmm. Um, but he but he had not yet really uh, caught his his stride. Like he had not really put it all together. I guess you could say. Yeah. yeah. And so anyway, so they go into the so they go into spring training in 1935, and uh, and in in there in like and he didn't really he didn't play well. His arm was hurt. Um, he had this sort of like a dead arm. I guess you could say like there was something wrong with his arm. And uh, and then and they tried. They actually going into the season started trying other people out at right field to try to find. They actually, moved Goose Goslin, whose position was left field, traditionally, um, they tried to move him into right field, and it didn't work because the right field, especially like Tiger Stadium, there was a problem there, which is the sun beams right almost right into a, a right fielder's eyes. So they mm-hmm. call it the sun field. Mm-hmm. And so that sun field was not the easiest position to play. You had to be able to battle the sun. You know to make plays, and Goose Goslin really couldn't like he he couldn't really handle that spot. Like they, he wasn't just wasn't didn't fit his profile, 
And so they basically reinserted Pete Fox back in and, 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 um, and he ended up having one of the, you know, one of the best years of his career, but he there's did, actually yeah. more to the story than Sim simply just going out on the field and tying into, you know, and just having a great year. Um, and that's kind of like, so anyway, so, and that's like another sort of major difference from 34 to 35 is that, is that, um, in, in 34, you know, it's, you know, it is, you know, it is what it is. The Tigers do what they do. But in the off season in 1934, uh, Goose Goslin somehow he, for some reason or another, he was, t- he was talking to a reporter in the off season in New in his home in New Jersey. And, um, and he talks about Pete Fox in a very, very negative way Ooh. saying like, Basically, it was like sort of you know they, somebody like it, he was saying like that the, the Tigers could do better in right field. Than Fox, <laughs> that they, they could they could really use an upgrade. Was this during spring training? This was, no, this was this was in the off season, so oh, before oh. spring training. So this was okay. in the winter, like sort okay. of like after nineteen thirty four, before nineteen thirty five. Right, and Goose right. Gosling's doing some interview with the newspaper, and he says you know something along the lines of you know the Tigers could you know, we could be a better team if we had a better right fielder. Yeah. And so now all of a sudden you know Pete Fox swears this vow like. I'm going to have the great, not only the best season like I've ever had, but I'm going to out. I've actually got the quote if you got, if you want me to read it. Um, uh, yeah, well, let me read. I'll quote. Yeah. It, it really carries the. Um, he did. Really, he had a Pete Fox had a long career. You find that quote, but Pete yeah, Fox he's great. He yeah. had a long career. He went on. Oh, to, yeah. He was with Detroit till 1940, and then yeah. went on to Boston and and had had a couple really yeah. strong seasons Absolutely. with Boston too. Yeah. No. Yeah. He was no. He was a great player. He was great. I mean, he wasn't like a Hall of Famer, but he was great. I mean, he was a really good. And 35 was really the, the year that sort of kicked it all off for him. Yeah. Um. So, anyways, uh, let me. Uh, where is there? Okay. So. So here it is. Um. All right. So I'm gonna I might as well read the whole thing. So it's it's like three or four paragraphs long. So I read yeah. the whole thing. So, so this is so the article is written by, um, by Bud Shaver for the Detroit Times, who is the sports editor for the Detroit Times, and this is written after the 1935 World Series. And so this is Bud Shaver now. He says, "This is one of those now what can be told stories. It concerns the traditional rivalry between the fox and the goose, and it didn't turn out the way it was plotted, which is one of the reasons why we are glad we waited until now to tell it." The Fox is Irvin Pete Fox, right fielder of the Tigers. The Goose, of course, is Leon Goose Goslin, the Tigers' left fielder. Anyway, when the World Series ended last October, the Tigers scattered to their respective lairs. The Goose winged his way home to Salem. Fox wound up in Evansville, Indiana. Everything was lovely at Evansville that winter until one day Fox picked up the local newspaper and read a story which had been transmitted by a nationally known newspaper service. The dispatch was dated from Salem, New Jersey, and in it, the Goose, in a fit of unguarded garrulousness, delivered himself of a lot of uncomplimentary remarks about Fox. Among other things, he said the fellow couldn't hit, run, or throw. He was, a ter- he was a terrible outfielder, and it caused the Goose great pain and humiliation to have to play on the same team with him, or words to that effect. P. Fox clipped out that piece and kept it pretty much to himself, but he burned up plenty. He burned up so much that he didn't speak to Gazan all year long, except, for, except to take a hit-and-run hit sign. It was a rather ridiculous situation, but both guys, being ball players, never realized the ridiculousness of it. If 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 one was playing cards on a pullman and the other moved in, neither would give up his seat. They sat they sat and played together with a strained politeness, which was which was very funny. It was pretty grim too. Fox promised himself he would he would out hit, out run, out play, and outfield his critic. I don't know whether or not Goose knew this. If he did, he never let on. But the fox was as sore as a boil. When he had a sore arm this spring, he wouldn't tell anybody. When the Tigers were getting ready to ship him away, he set his mouth in a grim line and played so well they couldn't. So uh, 
Fox was Fox was out of the lineup for a long time during the early part of the season. Goslin played right field, the sun field, while Pete sat on the bench. Pete sat there and didn't say a word. He didn't even sneer when Goslin muffed fly balls in the sun field, one of which made Tommy Bridges go to go two extra innings in a game in Philadelphia. Finally, Pete got finally Pete got back in there because it was apparent he was the only outfielder who could play the sun field. The goose had a big start, but the fox got after him immediately. The fox started hitting like a streak. He ran up a hitting streak, which excelled that of Goslin. He fielded brilliantly, threw well, but not a word did he say until the season was almost over. And then he took down his hair to this to this writer one night. So this is him talking to Bud Shaver. Fox told the whole story of his bitterness, his traditional feud with the goose. I'm going to out-hit him by 20 points. Outfield, throw, throw out more men, make less errors, said Pete grimly. I'm going to outplay him from here to Evansville. I'm going to outplay him in the World Series, and when it's all over, I'm going to have it printed in every newspaper in the United States that Pete Fox is a better outfielder than Goose Gosling, and I'm going to, to back it up with, with results. I'm going to make the goose eat his words, and I hope he chokes. <laughs> we were a little uncomfortable with this harangue because we, we like both the fox and the goose, but the fox couldn't let up, wouldn't let up. I'm going to do it, Fox insisted. Look at the batting averages now. He'll never catch me. Look at the, look at the fielding at percentages. He can't field with me, and I can even throw better than he can. Look at the record. Fox, this is the final paragraph here. Yeah, so yeah. Fox, made, Fox made good his boast. He hit better and fielded better than Gosling during the regular season. Then came the World Series. Fox wound up the leading hitter of the entire series for both clubs. He fielded well. Nobody drove in more runs. Nobody got as many hits. Nobody hit for as many bases. Gosling made an error. So did Fox. But off the record, Fox was the much better outfielder. Charlie Grimm, manager of the Cubs, rated Charlie Geringer number one man of the Tigers, Fox number two. Goslin was way back in the hero sweepstakes. Then came the sixth game, and Goslin knocked in the winning run in the ninth inning with two out. So you can see there. Yeah. So you can see, like, you know, wow. the, this idea, you know, this, you know, this, so there, that's a, that, you that's know, like that's, all season tensions are high between these guys. Exactly. And you can see, and so, that, you know, to answer back to the question you had, you know, as far as the difference in the teams, here's a man who is playing with like this vindictive streak you yeah. know, with this sense of like something to you know you know to prove in a massive way yeah, yeah. and so that's what i mean so like you know that's something definitely different from the previous year this is a whole you know you see like the the transfer from one season to the next you know the, the you know the, the you know the, the it's a it's really sort of a different player who's you know he's like a, um you know he's He's got something to prove. So. Yeah, he did. He hit three twenty one. Pete yeah. Fox hit three twenty one, yep. and, and Goose was uh, two ninety two. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, fifteen home runs for Pete. Yep, nine for Goose. And uh, although uh, RBIs, uh, uh, Goose had one hundred nine, and Pete only had uh, seventy three. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, so the batting average much higher, more home runs. Yeah, but it's, I mean, but it, what it did, you know, having like just now having two guys that are going after each yeah. other, you know, and Goose yeah, Gosling, yeah. Goose Gosling's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, well, he's a tremendous hitter. I mean, he's, this guy won a batting championship. I mean, he's a you know, he's already he won a World Series of Washington. I mean, he was you know, he, he the, some people might have called him over the hill when he joined the Tigers, but he was. I mean, he's he had a great year in 1934, and you know, he had you know, for all intents and purposes, a great season in 1935. And here's mm-hmm. Pete Fox saying, "I'm gonna." play better than this Hall of Famer from here to Evansville. <laughs> and so, you know, I mean, that's just what I'm saying. So, like, it's a, it's a, it is a, in that, you know, it's sort of a different Pete Fox in 1935. Yeah. It's a different outfielder in 1935, yeah. you see. Um, yeah, so, you know, like this, and then, you know, there's there's other elements, too. Like, you know, we talked about Schoolboy Roll last week. Sure, yeah. Uh, in 1935, Schoolboy Roll was a totally different pitcher. In 34, he was unstoppable. He was yeah. unhittable. They know he was the superstar of all of baseball. He had this huge romance with Edna Skinner we talked about. 
Um, but uh, but in 1935, he like he had married Edna Skinner in the in the uh, off season. They'd had a child, and um, and his little Linwood, little boy, little Linwood, yeah. and um, uh, he and, and he was sick. And there's you know there's there's, there's no no it doesn't. It's really my speculation, and I speculate in the book um, that the idea that uh, the, that the sickness of his newborn son is what led him to his early season struggles, and he struggled terribly yeah. in 1935. Well, terribly, we were talking about this, uh, talking about this being the great expectations, and then the season kicks off. Uh, and they're struggling. Schoolboy exactly. Row and uh, yeah. the team overall. Exactly. That's what I mean. So, so you have you know Schoolboy Row is a large part of it because you know he's he's one of their um, you know Eldon Ocker says that Tommy Bridges was the ace of the team and mm-hmm. that Schoolboy himself were like this you know you know that we were the next aces we were like the secondary because like because a lot of people would actually say that Schoolboy Row was like the ace but. I mean, it's, it's you're splitting hairs, but it's, but you know they, they everybody there, there was such a high regard for Tommy Bridges that they all like were like he is our ace. Like he was still sort of a young. I think he was 27 years old in 1934. And Schoolboy and Eld Knocker were like in their you know, 23, 24 year old area. Um, and so, but anyways, but Schoolboy was an incredibly important figure on that team. Incredible right. as a pitcher. It, I mean, it was like you know you had in this really you had two aces for all intents and purposes with Tommy Bridges and and Schoolboy Row, two aces, mm-hmm. and with one of them, Bridges was okay in '35 from the very beginning, but but Schoolboy Row was horrible, and so that's I mean the first I mean he got relegated to the bullpen in Whoa. 1935, which the, the concept of the bullpen. Um, is, is that uh, is the bullpen is sort of like the the guys that come in and fill you know that pitch at the end of games whenever they need an inning or two or you know especially back in this era when the pitchers basically pitched you know every game all game and the only reason they came out is if they were hurt or if they were playing bad and that's when they brought in the bullpen yeah you know I mean it was kind of like you know, a lot of times it would you know they, they, they there was games that both these they call them relievers pitch that were important but for the star you know for schoolboy row the ace you know one of the great pitchers in the all of baseball to be coming out of the bullpen was a tremendous indig i mean that, that just shows you how bad he was like how bad like they could not pitch him to start that you know the start and it was a brief moment that they were bringing him out it wasn't like he was relegated there for half the season or something it was it, i think it was only a couple of games mm-hmm. but um but any but in either case he started off the year um you know, in a in a in a tough way, he was not good, and so, and I have a uh, there's a great article in the end of the second book that that it uh, there's no way to read on here. It would take up the whole show. It's I mean, it's like a, it's probably a 20 minute read. Yeah. But uh, but anyways, that where Bud Shaver actually goes through the entire season, he does a fantastic job of narrating the the he uh, he calls it the that he says Cochran is the captain of of the ship that rode over these stormy seas. Because it because it was just up and down, up and down. I actually have a, a sort of a note of the timeline, sort yeah. of to give you an idea. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so the you know I should have wrote down with the date of the first first day of the season started, but it was uh, you know just like a lot of seasons, um, early you know late March, early April. Um, but by May thirtieth, um, you know a month and a half, two months in the season, they're they're in fifth place. The Tigers are in fifth place. Uh, by June twentieth. The team is in fourth. That has moved up a little bit, and they're in fourth place. So you're talking about, you know, like maybe a third of the season's over, and they're still in fourth, fifth place. And so the, you know, the main criticism of the 1934 Tigers because they had come out of, the, you know, they because they had played like such world beaters after being so terrible with virtually the same team that there's people were saying they got lucky that mm. they tapped, in, you know, that they got lucky. They had a lot of momentum. They avoided injuries. You know, it was, they were sort of a fluke. And so that was the national media narrative. And so the, the, starting off the season in such a rough spot, it seemed to vindicate 
all the critics. I mean, yeah. they vindicated. They're all saying, "Yeah, the this is the you know the Tigers really were a flash in the pan." Was was there a point that was a turning point in '35? Once again, for them? we're in sync, man. I got it right here, start on my note. <laughs> the turning point of the season. What's, what's the, what was the turning point in '35? So, so so you have uh, so so from June 30th to July 7th, the Tigers go on a 10 game win streak. Right. So that helps, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, but then, but this was, but I have actually have a quote, uh, a couple quotes at the end of the book where they actually say, um, they, well, Bud Shaver, the one quote I just mentioned to you with the Stormy Seas uh, story, he actually says the 4th of July was the turning point. The 4th okay. of July, because in that game, uh, the Tigers are playing against the Tigers are playing against the the the, um, the Tigers have uh, as I just mentioned June thirtieth to June to July seventh they were on a ten game win streak so this would have been their their maybe sixth game in a row that they you know if you know they won ten but at this point they they've won like four or five in a row so they're playing against Cleveland Indians they're playing against the Cleveland Indians and the Tigers are down five to four in the ninth inning with two out oh, wow. okay and Mickey Cochran comes up to the plate drills a home run to tie it. Okay, and then the Tigers go on to win it in the eleventh inning, and that, so that extends that winning streak from five or six to whatever it was at that point to yeah. seven games, and then they win three more. You see what I'm saying? So that ten game, so that's when they say that you know they could have you know it could have been a four game winning streak where they lost one, and then the yeah. Tigers you know the, the, the stormy ship keeps going up and down a little yeah, bit, yeah. but the winning of that game, and then the winning of three middle, you know they they all said like, and, and even at the end of the book, there's another quote I have where they're actually asking the Tigers. What was um, your favorite moment of the season? And three of the Tigers say that was it. When Mickey hit that home run, one guy says that did that home run did things to me that I haven't experienced since I was a child. Nice. Like you know, he was like it, that was it. That was pushed it to extra innings. Pushed extra innings. Pushed it to a win. Tigers win the game and they beat Mel Harder, who was one of the great pitchers. He was uh, one of the great pitchers in the 1930s. Yeah. So what? Uh, what? What? Uh, was there somebody else who was a standout? Not necessarily one of the top stars. Was there somebody else who was a standout? Once again, next thing, next point. Okay. Right on the thing. I mean, you read my cards. No, like, I, know. I can't cards. see. Because <laughs> it's, it's like cause I actually was hoping to get to this guy too. Because this is like the story. Like, yeah. Like, because another mention by these players at the end of the year was that uh, you know they, they again there's a great article because they, they they ask all these different players what was your favorite moment of the season mm. and so a bunch of them picked Mickey Cochran for that home run he hit yeah. and then and then several more picked uh, there's a guy named Vic Sorrell okay Vic Sorrell and this is a name that like never gets any mention and he didn't get any hardly any mention in 1935 mm. which is sort of the point of this player his name is Vic Sorrell okay so Vic Sorrell he's like you know you know in this you know, you have uh, when you're talking 34, 35 Tigers, you've got schoolboy row, like the picturesque athlete, six foot four, six foot five, whatever he was, you know, great looking guy, hero to the children, you know, ace of eight, you know, one of the aces. You know, we've talked about schoolboy row. You've got Hank Greenberg, you know, this guy is just you know setting the world on fire. He's like the next Babe Ruthian type figure for the Tigers. Mickey Cochran, all these big names, right? But then you got Vic Sorrell. He's like the Vic Sorrell. He's he's got he wears like the round glasses, right? He's not yeah, yeah. like really doesn't really look like an athlete, you know. He's he's kind of like a nerd, man. Yeah, yeah. When you look at him when you see a picture of Vic Sorrell, you know he he you know he doesn't really take the you know he doesn't, he doesn't oh, he does. like these, yeah. you know he just doesn't he doesn't look like one of these you know these ball ball players that would be in like some kind of a cover of a magazine. He, he looks just, like a scientist. Exactly. He's like old timey sort of, scientist. Exactly. He's like an old timey you know, bespectacled man. <laughs> so, anyways, Vic Sorrell been with the Tigers since 1928, mm-hmm. and so when we talk about you know we've said it before the Tigers when Mickey Cochran got there were either too young or they were too old. Well, Vic Sorrell was in the category of too old. He'd been with the Tigers since 1928. He had an incredibly mediocre 
um, career. You know, ninety two really wins, one hundred and one losses. Yeah, like yeah, he was you know leading up to that point. You can see for yourself, you know, year you know when you're looking at ERA, earn run average for a pitcher, you know, anything in the three point six, you know, three point five, three point six, you know, that's that's really good. You know what I mean? It gives up three and a half runs a game basically. You know, per nine innings, and then so, but when you're, but with Vic Sorrell, you can see his ERA is like four, four point five, five, yeah, five. <laughs> you know, like this is a guy that he's the, you know, he's the type of pitcher that he was good enough to like eat up innings. Like mm-hmm. you could put him out there, you knew he would pitch nine innings. Sometimes he would give up three or four. Sometimes he would give up six or seven. You know, he's just the kind of guy that, <laughs> yeah, 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 that just you know, he's a pitcher. Right, right, right. He's a pitcher. You know, he's gonna get some outs. You know, whatever. You know, he's gonna just be out there. But he has no superstardom around him at all. He's Right. Just like this guy that they put in whenever. So, anyways, um, so 1935, um, you know, Vic Sorrell, like you again, Tommy Bridges, Schoolboy Row, Eldon Ocker, General Crowder. We talked about mm-hmm. has this, you know, this incredible magic season, you know, um, from 34, and then he's also great in 35 again. Um, and then Vic Sorrell's over in the corner. He, you know, like nobody. You know, he's just he's just a guy they throw in whenever they need hey, a couple fellas. innings. <laughs> can I, I get can to I play get this week? Exactly. He just <laughs> whenever they need him for something, really to pick up some innings, they put Vic Sorrell in. And so in 1935, you know, that's the situation with Vic. You know, there's all this incredible excitement around the Tigers, and then you know, Vic's you know he's part of the team still. Yeah, you yeah. know, he's got a baseball card out there. Yeah. So, but anyway, so uh, but it, to, but for Vic in this season, the the you know, sort of the sad thing about Vic Sorrell was that his daughter had this illness, and I I have it hmm. in the book somewhere. I'm not sure what the illness was. I it um it escapes me what what her, what the actual illness was, but it was something that sort of carried on over the course of the season. And so he was really like, so he would like be at a game, and then like when he had a day off, he would be at home trying to you know, you know, dealing with his with helping his daughter to be with his daughter and stuff. So he was having kind of a you know, not only you know, just a rough personal season as well. So, anyways, uh, so so the so the date is July twenty third, as we already mentioned, June thirtieth to June seventh. The Tigers on a ten game win streak, Um, and then so now we're talking July twenty third. Okay, so the Tigers. Are just a shade behind the Yankees. Okay, they're just like they're, they're they're so they're going into Yankee Stadium, and they have a three game series. Okay, um, but anyways, yeah, it's a three games, three or four game series. But anyways, so that'll that'll swing a that'll swing big your time. position. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so going in, maybe they played a four game series, but the, but the idea is the last three games is what we want to talk about here. Okay, mm-hmm. and so anyways, there was a there was a double header. Okay, in the first game of the double header, Schoolboy Row loses to the Yankees seven to five. The Tigers at this moment are. Um, what would it equate to? It's like a game and a half back of the Yankees. I have to do the math, remember? But because anyway, I'll get to a more precise measurement here in a second. Anyways, the Tigers. So the, the first, it's close. The Tigers right. are in second place, just behind the Yankees. Yeah. Okay. So, anyways, Schoolboy Row loses the first game seven to five. Okay, exactly. And so they're you know the the, the mighty Schoolboy loses this this first game. And then the Tigers, like the way that the the pitchers had been being used every day and all this different stuff, they literally had nobody. They literally had nobody, uh. and so this. And you have to understand this double header was, you know, this is key because if the Tigers lose three in a row, yeah, they drop down in the standings. You know, now they have to win like three, and the Yankees have to lose three, so it propel, you know, makes it even more difficult. And so at this particular double header, there were sixty six thousand fans oh my in attendance God. for this double header. Sixty six thousand, oh. which shows you sort of the magnitude. Let's send out the scientists. Vic. <laughs> Vic this is huge. The bench and he goes, Vic, well, whoever, how's your arm feeling? Whoever <laughs> we send out there is going to poop themselves yeah, anyway. Yeah, he's like, hey, Vic, how you doing? How's your arm feeling? Everybody's like, Vic, you know, what are we going You want to get us started? <laughs> yeah, so, they're like, 
Do you, uh, do you know what the plan was? Was just they they needed somebody to cover. Or, or yeah, they, they they they. I mean, like he wasn't really he like you know Vic did everything. He was a starter. He was a reliever. He would just you know he was a pitcher. He was, yeah, they, they needed whatever they you could see. He didn't he did really didn't have that many games pitched that year. Um, and so uh, you know so you know they they need Vic Sorrell. They right. need Vic Sorrell. You know they need to step up. How did so Vic's comes How did in, he do? Well, so I thought you're never going to ask that question. <laughs> so anyway, so Vic God, comes I in. Know. So Vic comes in, and uh, let me just make sure I get the score right. Yeah, I got the notes written down here. So Vic comes in, and the Tigers win three to one. Mm. Vic pitches a gem, a gem, <laughs> like one of the most important and best games. Of his life, really, right? And so, um, and so, like, there's like three pitchers, and, and then one of the one of the great stories too is Ray Hayworth, who was the backup catcher. He was a tremendous. Like, I can't, I can't wait to talk about Ray, Ray Hayworth. Um, in fact, when they were making a trade, when they were uh, when they were uh, buying Mickey Cochran, the A's wanted them to th- the Tigers to throw in Ray Hayworth as part of the deal. Yeah, and the Tigers refused. Nice. They wouldn't even part with Ray Hayworth. Ray Hayworth was a backup catcher, but he was an elite defensive player he was a solid offensive hitter but he was an elite defender and so the, and so they would so he played a lot I mean mm-hmm. Ray Hayworth was in a lot so Mickey Cochran a lot of times Mickey would you know he would because catchers take a lot of beatings you know they take a, a beating all year long God, yeah. and so and he was so Mickey felt comfortable knowing that he could take a game off and that Ray Hayworth would would you know be a be a great catcher for the game, yeah. and then Mickey could use himself as a pinch hitter and come mm-hmm. in for the you know important moments of games to get those. He may have I, I got to check my records, but he may have even pitch hit himself in that ninth inning game that I talked about with that home run. In fact, I think he did. Yeah. Was he pinch hit? He brought himself in off the bench because he's the manager. He gets to decide when they when he uses himself, one of yeah, his yeah. team's best hitters. All right, I got this, fellas. Exactly. He comes <laughs> in as, you know, to, to pinch hit for an incredibly important moment. So having Ray Hayworth allowed him to do that. Anyways, Ray Hayworth was was uh, because he Ray Hayworth had been with the team as long as Vic Sorrell had been, like at least since uh, you know the late 20s. And so he was great friends with Vic. And he mentions it in the quote at the end um, that I keep talking about where it's like their favorite moments that he says at the end of that ninth of, of that game in the ninth inning that there was a potentially a, a run about to score in the ninth inning on Vic Sorrell and that he like literally muscled the guy that, you know, the guy came around third and back then um, you, you know, a catcher could like football block into somebody to keep them from touching the plate. And so he knew that uh, that the ball that the ball was running a little bit late, and that he gave this guy the shove, caught the ball, tagged him out, and preserved the victory. He's, he got a black eye as a result. He actually Jeez. talks about it. he got a black eye from hitting this guy. So um, six foot tall, one hundred and eighty pounds. Ray Hayworth, yeah, he, yeah. He was, Ray Hayworth was great. He's a, he's a, I th- he went in there. It was uh, I, I, again. I got to check the exact number. But I believe it was a hundred. It was at least a hundred straight games. It might have been like one hundred three or something. Okay. But he went like a hundred straight games without um, without making an error, which for a catch, that's uh, it's un, that's incredible. It wasn't right. broken. That streak was not broken until Yogi Berra broke it. He was a tremendous catcher for the Yankees in the nineteen fifties. Um, until Yogi Berra broke it, but until then, Ray Hayworth had the longest streak of mo- of errorless. Um, games and so yeah so he was tremendous but but anyway so that this victory you know they say like this was just such a huge thing because what ha- what ended up happening was uh, General Crowder came in on the the the, the next day um, and won and then the Tigers beat uh, the Tigers beat the Yankees for Crowder's start like I think it was the next day or the you know at least probably the next day if not the day after that but it was the very next game. Uh, and the Crowder, the Tigers, and behind General Crowder, win the next game, and they moved into a tie with the Yankees for first place. And again, that was July twenty third. Okay. So you see the evolution here. So May thirtieth, fifth place. June twentieth, 
fourth place. They're starting to evolve, escalate a little bit. June 30th to July 7th, 10-game winning streak with the Mickey Cochran, um, you know, with that Mickey Cochran home run. And then July 23rd, Vic Sorrell in this game, um, in, you know, Crowder the very next day, the Tigers move into a tie with the Yankees, yeah. and then they never look back. They never look back. They just kept on winning, and they uh, – and they they edged it out for the for the the pennant, and so the September twenty first they win they clinched the pennant that year. Wow! Yep. So so how many games do they have left? Uh, September you said September twenty first. September twenty first. I'd have to look at it. Yeah 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 yeah. But, but September twenty first they so had they had July, it like for August, a while. September. So there was like two months left. Wow! Know, and they they played great the rest of the season. So that's that's early in the season to have it cinched up. Well yeah well yeah for the well the tw- well September twenty first the uh, the World Series was not it's not that early. Well a little bit actually yeah because yeah the World Series was I think it was October third. Yeah. Was the beginning of the World Series October first, October third. Yeah. So it was, yeah, no, it was like yeah. nine days, you know, at least yeah. a at least a week. But but they um good but spot they but they crushed in. it. But they crushed it. You know, like yeah. the rest of the season they just were killing everybody. And in fact they went on a losing streak at the end of the year. I think it was an eight game losing streak <sighs> at the end of the year, um which people were like, oh man, are they gonna have are they gonna be able to because the worst thing for them was that they went on an eight-game, uh, somewhere like a seven or eight-game losing streak at the end of the year. And uh, the Cubs went on a 21-game winning streak oh. to propel themselves into the 1935 World Series. So going into that World Series, the, Tig- the Cubs were the hottest team in baseball, and the Tigers were the coldest team. <laughs> they just yeah. lost eight games in a row. So, um, so you know, it was like eight out of maybe it was eight out of nine, but it was it was a, it was an ugly little losing streak that they had to finish off their year. But um, but yeah, you can see you can just kind of see the dynamic in uh, of, of this season how they how they started, and then there's a couple of these really key moments. There's probably a million other ones too, of course. Yeah. Um, but there's one more little element too yeah. with regards to the importance. We we talked about it um, on a previous show about just the you know about Hank Greenberg. Yeah. And just this like the next Babe Ruthian figure in right. this year. Because um, he, he's top of the pops with everything. With oh, everything! The, with them that year. He's one of the greatest hitters of all time. Yeah, and, and it, yeah, he's one of the greatest hitters of all time. And we mentioned so 1933. Hank Greenberg was just trying to get a starting job. I mean, 33. I mean, he was just trying to. I mean, he he actually went to Frank Navin and says, "You either play me or or trade me or something because I want to play." He's playing on Belle Isle with kids on sand sandlot ball just to stay in game shape. Yeah, because he was never playing, and so. Uh, and so then thirty, so he, so in thirty four, of course, so he wins the job really at the end of nineteen thirty three. Play, plays well enough to win the job going into thirty four, and it's in thirty four that he breaks out and becomes one of the great hitters in all of baseball, and that helps to propel the Tigers to the to the World Series. Um, and then uh, in thirty five, Greenberg is on a whole other level. Yeah. He is literally on a whole other level. I mean, he is like I'm talking about. He's not just on another level for the Tigers. He's on another level for all of Major League Baseball. I mean, just and I, and I have a great uh, little fact here that I think is going to put into context just how big he was because you know we mentioned the Tigers were, were you know start off bad in the beginning of this season, but it could have been way worse without Hank Greenberg. Okay, he was the only, like he was like literally the only person like one of the only I mean he was the catalyst that gave them what wins they did get in the beginning. He literally carried them almost by himself wow. through the first part of the season, and so. Um, so just to give you an idea of how 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 big he was, uh, you know the, the 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 statistic of runs batted you know runs batted in you know RBIs, mm-hmm. and so by the All Star game, which I don't know if you want to look up the date of the All Star game because I, I don't have it off the top of my head, but by the All Star game, Hank Greenberg had 110 RBIs. Okay, yeah. the, that's like the All Star game is halfway point of the season generally, uh, generally speaking. So he has 110 RBIs by the All Star game. Okay. 
it, just to give you a frame of reference, Lou Gehrig, what, by the time the season finished, Hank Greenberg, he finished the year with 170 RBIs, Hank Greenberg, okay? But just to put into context how much that is, how many that is, the number two player in baseball that year had a, was Lou Gehrig, and he had 119 RBIs for the season. That was, uh, that was July 8th in 1935. July 8th, there you go. Yeah. yeah. So, so anyways, by July 8th, um, you know, the, by the, the, the looking at my notes here, that's you know the, the, the Tigers had just had that ten game win streak. Yeah. Um, by July eighth, Hank Greenberg's got a hundred and ten RBIs, and I can see like so. The, Lou Gehrig for the full season at one hundred and nineteen. He's one of the best <laughs> hitters in the game. Lou Gehrig had a season, his own seasons rate one hundred and sixty to one seventy. Yeah. Lou Gehrig was no stranger than you know to hitting getting RBIs by that you know huge number. But Greenberg, you know, but Green, but Hank. You know what I mean? 110 RBIs for the first, you know, whatever, how many games that is, 60 right, right. games of the year. Yeah. You know, 50, what is that? 50, 154 divided by two. It's, uh, um, set, what I, man, I could have got my calculator. <laughs> That's awful. Set, what is that? 70, 77? 77, whatever. 70, yeah. So he's got, he's averaging over RBI every single game, almost two RBIs a game for the yeah. first 170 game season. He's having an RBI. Uh, more than one a game. Jeez. You know what I mean? He's driving in at least one run every yeah, yeah. single game. He played game. 152 games, yeah. and he had 170 RBIs. Yes, so, yeah, that's what I'm saying. At least one every game. <laughs> that's what it averages out to. And in many games, I'm sure he has four or five yeah. in that clip. You know? Yeah, yeah. So he's just a he's. That's what I'm saying. He's, he's a, a monster. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. He's a he, per, perfect word. He's a monster. And this is a guy like... You know, it just shows you if you have a guy in the first half of your season that's got 110, that's literally got the same number of runs driven in as like the next best guy has for the entire season. Yeah. You see that how much, I mean, literally the other team was that, you know, the rest of the players on that team were that bad. If a guy could have that many, one man, and they couldn't just blow everybody out, yeah. you know what I mean? Like if the Tigers, the other guys wouldn't play anywhere near, you know, peak levels, they would have been killing people if a oh. guy that's. On a tear like that, yeah. so that's what I'm saying. So really, that's another component of the story. That's really, uh, and I thought that that fact really does a good, you know, good, good idea to point out just how big. Um, Hammer you know, and Hank. Hammer and Hank. Yeah, Hank Greenberg. Hammer and Hank absolute Greenberg. Absolute monster. Yeah. Absolute monster. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, yeah. So those are um, that, that's that's pretty much. We actually went through most of my notes here. It's cool. uh, so we'll talk about the the series itself uh, on its own. Yeah. Um, we'll we'll do that and. Uh, yeah, we want to bunch we'll all get this. to that. But yeah. uh, we we'll want to put all the. I want to put. That's what I think that we were talking about this earlier. I want to put all the championships together in a yeah. batch because I want to do a you know, because we and we also talked about this the, the idea of separating the stories. You know, when you say you know like we talk about the World Series now, um, then we talk about the thirty five World Series now, and then we don't talk about the the Lions championship for another five, six, seven episodes, you know, however long. Yeah. And then it, it, it's, you start to lose the connection between them. That's what I'm saying. Like, I like the idea of doing it rapid so, yeah. fire. Well, you know? maybe in the next time we'll talk about the Lions. We'll start oh, yeah. uh, diving Lions, into... Tiger fans, we got some stuff Bringing those about, Portsmouth yeah. uh, Spartans up here. Yeah, and I've been down to Portsmouth, too. Though they revere that team. Yeah. They, re- they still they say that the original stadium is still built. They do fundraisers to keep it clean. Um, it's an NFL, you know, 1930s NFL stadium that's still in, in excellent condition. It was the last team to use it was the Portsmouth Spartans. Ah, yeah, that is amazing. Yep. All right, so uh, we'll talk a little bit Lions next time and uh, Detroit City of Champions. The website 
Charles is DetroitCityOfChampions.com, the easiest <laughs> website in the world to remember. You know. That is it. So, uh, yeah, if you if you've lasted this long, and, and I've been putting the, uh, some episodes out, and people are commenting and being very uh, complimentary. Oh, uh, good. And the good. people have been enjoying it. So we uh, greatly appreciate everybody who's absolutely uh, yeah, tuned in and, yeah. and sharing these stories. I love these stories. It's yeah, uh, I love telling yeah. people. I tell people I got a sports podcast, and they're like you because I'm not a sports guy, but I love these stories. I love You're the, I love up, the though, history. Jamie. You're getting into it, man. You're starting to use some terms. I was like, you got it, man. Yeah, picking up some dates and all. You know, you're starting to, it's you're starting all, to get it. It's all on the web. Yeah, I keep looking at that because you said it was a decent. It is a decent site that uh, vintage Detroit. Oh, it's a great site. I highly they recommend. Got, uh, yeah, I get I get little emails from them all the time. They I got, love it. They got some the great, some great writers on there too. Yeah, yep, highly recommended. So, uh, what we'll do it again? Um, Detroit City of Champions podcast. Till next time. Excellent. Good show, Jamie. Yep.